Last year, the legislature had a big golden opportunity, I believe, to really do something about bending the health care cost curve. To do so, they would let the marketplace play a pivotal role. That seems to be, the idea seems to be lost on too many uh, in Wisconsin, particularly those who believe government is the answer for everything. State Representative Joe Sanfilippo led the charge on uh, Uh, direct primary care. It's something that really has been instrumental in changing the cost structure in so many states, and legislation would basically put that under state code. Still, he found resistance. State Representative Joe Sanfilippo joins us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. Good morning, sir. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, Let's start there. Let's start uh, at what happened last year, and I guess the will actually move ahead and and ask, will you be pushing this legislation early on in this session? Obviously, we know that uh, because of uh, some special interest and, you know, some other issues and other uh, things that popped up, the direct primary care legislation did not make the cut in the last legislative session. Will you be advancing that in this session? Yes. uh, Senator Capping and I have a bill out for circulation right now that uh, is very close to what we had proposed last session. Uh, We did make a few changes based on some of the feedback that we had heard at the uh, study committee that took place this summer. But we both feel very strongly that this is a great model to be able to afford options for Wisconsin families at affordable health care. And, you know, we are seeing the problems around the state where, you know, people, because of the Affordable Care Act, I mean, we need to be truthful about it. The Affordable Care Act has driven up the cost of insurance coverage, not only in Wisconsin, but across the whole country. So people are forced to be to buy these high deductible plans just so that they can afford the premiums. Well, then the co-pays and the deductibles and the office visit fees are, are so expensive that they're foregoing regular routine primary care just because they can't afford the out-of-pocket expenses. So this is a way for them to be able to still buy those high-cost plans, but also have an affordable option for primary health care. Indeed, and and let's go back and explain what uh, direct primary care is. It is not health insurance. Correct. Uh, It is a different way of approaching from what we have experienced, but really at its core, it's transparency in health care cost. Tell us a little bit about direct primary care, why it has proved so successful in other states, and uh, what uh, some of the changes in your legislation uh, would look like. Sure. I mean, I think direct primary care has has become so popular because it it, it gives customers or consumers, right, uh, the better health care, they get to spend more time, more face time with the actual physician Mm -hmm. who, instead of having to fill out, you know, hours of worth of paperwork every day, can just visit with the patient. But they also get the certainty of the cost up front. So you have this fixed monthly fee uh, based on, you know, how many people are in the plan and generally your age. And um, but you know exactly what you're going to get for those for that fixed monthly fee, and it doesn't cost you any more. So we've had physicians come and testify at the public hearing that, uh, you know, if you go to the doctor with a sore throat under a traditional primary plan you or traditional insurance plan, you may have to go for a, a strep throat test that can cost $200. Well, most doctors in the primary or direct primary care include that in their contracts. So, so you would have no extra out-of-pocket costs. So you're saving $200 right there. That'll pay for almost 
almost your coverage for a whole year for direct primary care just yeah. in that one instance. But it's just it's much more transparent and affordable and more time with the doctor. Why has there been so much resistance to direct primary care? It seems so logical. I think about the stories that I've seen in Wisconsin. And, and, and make no mistake about it, direct primary care exists in Wisconsin. What your legislation aims to do is to protect it, to make sure there aren't any legal battles simply because you are a provider, a health care provider, and you're providing this model of transparent care. But we, we see myriad examples. You see it in your home district in southeast Wisconsin. MacGyver News Service has looked at uh, the city of La Crosse and the school district of La Crosse. They're excellent examples of the power of transparency, the power of direct primary care. The savings that they have seen have been substantial to the point where, unlike so many other companies and uh, government uh, entities that have constantly had to raise premiums and co-pays, in places like La Crosse, they haven't had to do it. That has a great deal to do with direct primary care. But why has there been so much resistance to getting this bill done? Well, there's a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, you know, it's our human nature that we always want to resist change. We get kind of comfortable in what we're at right now. And so um, some ask, people... Ask my wife. Yeah, there you go. She, she, will, she will tell you that. Yeah. Some people kind of look at this as a disruption to the industry, right? We have this traditional method of how health insurance is handled. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now there's this new idea, although it's not that new because it's being practiced in over 20 states around the country already. And... Um, um, people look at this like it's going to disrupt the, the the model, right? So the industry itself, which you know, insurance is based on statistics and history, they don't like anything new, so they're afraid to embrace the change. And I think the other thought is that by recognizing direct primary care in statute, that might proliferate the practice. And then they feel, again, they feel threatened in their business model. But it's important, as you noted, this isn't intended to replace health insurance. This is intended to give uh, families an affordable option at primary care. You know, we would rather see people treated in a primary care setting, which, you know, physicians tell us they can treat 80 to 90% of a person's health needs in a primary care setting. So if you keep somebody healthy before they get sick, that's better for the patient and it's better for the overall system because it costs everybody less. Mm Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with State Representative Joe Sanfilippo about uh, his bill, along with Senator Chris Kappinga, introducing once again for circulation the bill uh, that would uh, bring direct primary care under the uh, legal protection of the state. It would codify it, put it into law. As I said before, direct primary care exists, and there are several successful models out there. But this is a protective measure uh, in terms of the legalities of direct primary care. Um, no, it's it's interesting that you know we we take a look at the savings from this model as opposed to what we're seeing now. And you talk about the insurance industry, people you know who are you know, like to see change, as you noted. This direct primary care, though, I think. Is it not safe to say that it does cut a lot of the red tape, which is built into third-party insurance relationships 
that end up putting more and more layers of cost and more and more layers of people involved in it. Now, the insurance industry says, well, if you do that, you give up some measure of oversight and there are, uh, you know, safety issues or concerns and all of those sorts of things. Uh, that's difficult to believe when you see what's happened in places like uh, Oklahoma uh, where there, uh, and Nebraska, I believe, where there are surgeons who are doing this on a daily basis and have done it for a long time. Right. You know, we're, we're kind of going back to the old, you know, Marcus Welby days of, of administering uh, primary health care, right? And so that, you know, these are still board-certified physicians. They have to go through all the training, all the licensing, all of the patient protections that exist now under the present system are still in place under this direct primary care settings, and then some, because direct primary care, the fact that it is not in statute, doesn't really have a lot of specific patient protections there, so we build some of those into the bill. But, you know, we, we know, you know, physicians are spending 40% of their time just dealing with paperwork for insurance companies in red tape, and on average, they spend seven minutes in with FaceTime with the patient. You know, and, and physicians in, in these large health settings today have a two or 3,000 patient caseload. Direct primary care doctors do with four or 500 patients. So mm. just by sheer volume, they can spend more time. And one other benefit to direct primary care is I think it helps us, especially in rural areas where, where we have doctor shortages, right? Because yeah. now you have physicians who suffer burnout. When you have to deal with 3,000 patients you know, a, a, as a caseload, uh, you get tired and you want to end up retiring and leaving. Well, now if we can give these doctors an option where they can kind of step back, maybe semi-retire, uh, but don't have to walk away from the profession altogether, that can only help us when it comes to supply. Let's talk a little bit about your bill. You said uh, you've made some changes that uh, I would assume were made to make it more palatable for those in the insurance trade, that sort of thing. Uh, also, I thought an exceptional component of your bill last year was definitely worth giving a try. I don't know where that stands today, but that's that uh, Medicaid side of things where you would uh, open up a pilot program in the state to see how much cost savings could be realized uh, through uh, medical assistance programs by using the model in, again, a limited basis, but to see where you go from there. Is that um, proposal in this legislation, um, and what else is, was, is in the, the new legislation? Sure. So, unfortunately, the Medicaid pilot language was one of the first casualties of the failure from last session. Why is that? We had a large resistance. You know, I think the opposition from inside the Beltway here in Madison was they didn't want to see um, us having less people on government health care, right? You're on Medicaid. Mm. You're supposed to be, you know, taken care of by the government. This introduces the private sector into it a little bit more that I just think a lot of people opposed to that idea from the start were opposed to this. So mm. most of the resistance we got from the elected official side surrounded uh, around the Medicaid issue that they weren't going to uh, didn't want to support it that way. Mm. Now that we've had the change in uh, the administration in the governor's office, we know that uh, Governor Evers, uh, his, his, he's come out and said publicly he prefers government health care, right? He wants to expand Medicaid, not take steps to reduce it. So Chris and I made the decision that while we think that is an important component of the bill, there's no way the governor would sign a bill with that in it. So we decided to take that out just for practical purposes. Um, some of the other issues, we just did uh, a little bit tighter definition 
on direct primary care itself and um, also the practice of, of direct primary care. We defined what primary care is a little bit more and just took out a little bit more of the, you know, what some of the opponents thought were gray areas in the original version of the bill. But it's important to remember that as we crafted this bill, we had several meetings with very large groups of stakeholders, you know, from hospitals to physicians to, you know, patients. I mean, everybody across the board. And uh, so we have a lot of input in here. And I think that, you know, what we have now is a very good product that will definitely benefit uh, people here in Wisconsin. And we're hopeful to get it through the process this session and then get the governor to sign it. State Representative Joe Sanfilippo joining us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. What do you think the chances are that this time around it works, that you've made the, the changes that will go over for those who had concerns about it? And are you seeing uh, strong co-sponsorship levels? So I'm confident that we'll get it through the legislature. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, part of the problem again last session was we rolled the bill out kind of late towards the end of session. Right. And you know that there's always just a snowstorm of bills that mm -hmm. are coming out. And it's Especially very hard the last to get, session. <laughs> yeah, to get things accomplished. So mm -hmm. I think we're in a good place with the legislature. Uh, we'll get the bills to pass. It's a very important bill. And then it'll be up to Governor Evers. It's going to end up on his desk. And if he truly wants to help uh, people of Wisconsin have more affordable options at health care, he'll sign the bill. And if he doesn't sign the bill, I think it'll be for purely political reasons. And that'll tell us much of uh, what the next four years are going to look like. Well, we got a little taste of that yesterday, not necessarily from Governor Evers, but from Democrats in the legislature, the pre-existing condition legislation, which seems to me, as I read it, to have all of the sort of safeties and uh, protections that Democrats had sought, yet at a very sometimes emotional hearing yesterday at the Capitol, you have Democrats not satisfied with the Republican bill. It felt a lot like politics yesterday. I'm wondering what your, your takeaway is and what, what does that uh, suggest or pretend for your your legislation on direct primary care yeah i think that you know it, it was a very sad commentary yesterday that you know the election last november was very clear uh, pre-existing conditions were a preeminent issue in the campaign every single uh, not only republican but democrat from the governor on down um, campaigned on protecting pre-existing conditions we uh, had a bill yesterday in committee that does exactly that. It mirrors the ACA, so you have all the protections in state law that are there in the Affordable Care Act, mm -hmm. should that go away. And yet uh, we had a lot of resistance from the Democrats who uh, it's clear that they're not going to vote for the bill. So their very first, you know, this is the first campaign promise that they all made that they're going back and breaking now for purely for political reasons. Very good. Well, that actually ties into a segment we're going to do here momentarily. Uh, we like to call it Five Fast Questions, <laughs> and uh, we'll get into that uh, in just a moment. But I wanted uh, to get your take so far. It's been just over a week, a week and a half, new administration, new day, new era at uh, the executive level anyway. The Republican-controlled legislature remains uh, effectively as strong as ever. What's your takeaway so far of Governor Evers' performance? I know it's early on, but uh, some of the messaging, what you've heard so far. Well, I was disappointed to, to you know, hear the governor come out and say, basically, no matter what the legislature press, passes on pre-existing conditions, it's not going to be good enough, so he's not going to sign it. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even, that was even before the bill was introduced and heard. So, uh, you know, 
there was all this hope that we're going to be able to work together. Obviously, there's some great differences between Governor Evers and the legislature on a lot of issues, but I think there are also areas where we could work together. So just like when you start any new session, you're always optimistic that, well, there are things we're going to be able to get done. Um, I'm still hopeful that that's the case, but it, it's very hard to uh, keep that hope up much longer when we start seeing things, you know, comments like that. I think our, our first indication will be when this budget is proposed and we see what's in there. And that might be a while because obviously he, he would have the time. It's kind of built in that the new governor has an opportunity. Yeah. This could be extended into late February. Who knows? One of the interesting areas I thought yesterday, staying on the health care front, uh, was the governor's comments about what happened in um, a caucus yesterday. Now, this was unprecedented as far as I know, as long as I've covered uh, the legislature. I don't remember a time when uh, the uh, caucuses from the, uh, the Assembly and the Senate met uh, at the same time, but I think that that shows how committed I think the Republicans are to, to holding a unified front against any pursuit of far left or you know ultra liberal legislation we've certainly seen evidence of that so far uh, but one of the things that uh, governor evers said yesterday at a press conference was uh, he thought that it was a good meeting but he talked about the expansion of medicaid he you you know and we all know that he supports the expansion of medicaid in the state republicans have uh, opposed that uh, for uh, for some pretty good conservative reasons over the the years and logical reasons, but he said that uh, he will put that in his budget and he will fight for it and he'll make his case to the people. What did you think about those statements yesterday? Yeah, I think that that's one of the very stark contrasts that we have between the legislature and and the governor, right? And Governor Evers ran his campaign on the fact that he was going to expand Medicaid. Um, everybody in the state knows the legislature's position that we are uh, diametrically opposed to that. So for the, you know, when the governor comes to suggest something, you know, the, a lot of people are saying, well, hey, there, there's been uh, a desire for change because the governor was changed. But the legislature was still voted in in basically the same numbers that we had before and even a little, you know, one more in the Senate one less in the assembly, but I think people are still wanting to keep the policies that we uh, had put in the past moving forward. It's undeniable that we made the right decision by not taking the federal uh, expansion on Medicaid. When you just take a look from terms of the states that did do the expansion, their budgets are in complete shambles right now, and they're scrambling for ways to pay for the cost of that expansion. And we're the only state, even with those that did take the expansion, we're the only state that the Kaiser Foundation said does not have a coverage gap. So we're able to cover all of our people in a way that utilizes the private sector and doesn't put a huge burden on taxpayers and, and break the budget. So I think that the citizens of Wisconsin recognize that we did the right thing, and that's why they kept, you know, or had divided government in place to make sure that we don't just swing back in the opposite direction. You know, what's interesting to me is that liberals like to take a look at Minnesota, and they like to point to Minnesota yep. every single time they're comparing, especially over the last eight years with Governor Walker at the helm, every single time. It didn't matter what it was, job, performance, economy, health care. And so uh, they like to do this, but I think we have our comparisons of our own. You know, Minnesota took the Medicaid expansion. You see what happened to 
Minnesota's health care system. I mean, this is a legislature that was forced to take uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer money to bail out this broken system. Um, and there's another area, too, and I know you've, you've been uh, interested in this as well, and that's another bill that's moving uh, or could be moving this session, and that's the uh, dental therapist bill. Minnesota has done well through this legislation. It's uh, kind of on the same track line, if you will, or in the, the same family as direct primary care in, in many ways. Yet uh, I'm hearing resistance from people on the left. This is another Minnesota model, if you will. Why, why do you think that is? Well, the Democrats like to pick and choose which uh, things Minnesota are doing that they like to highlight, right? Yeah. And, you know, you, you talk about the expansion in Medicaid. Their governor, after the fact, had even come out and said, hey, the Affordable Care Act is anything but affordable, recognizing that they made a mistake. So, you know, it's one thing to have taken the Medicaid expansion, you know, four or five years ago at the beginning when everybody was kind of going into this blind right? Governor Walker was able to have enough vision to see that, hey, this wasn't going to work. A lot of other people moved into it. But if we were to move now to take the Medicaid expansion, it would be, you know, extra stupid because we've seen all these other states having these major problems. So why would we jump into the same hot water and and start boiling with them? Um, uh, As far as the dental therapy, yeah, it's, you know, it's something that has proven to greatly help the access issue. Uh, we have had some resistance. We did a, a public hearing on the bill last session. Um, I expect to see more of it this session. And again, I, I just think that it's it's people interested in protecting the status quo that look at something new and say, gee, you know, we've always done it one way. So if you want to try to make a change, you're somehow disrupting and uh, going to cause a lot of problems. I think Minnesota has proven to see that it has greatly helped access, especially for their Medicaid population who have trouble finding dentists right now who will who will do that type of work, right? Just because the reimbursement yeah. rates are so low right. and they can't afford to do it. So this would be a great way to increase access. Um, I hope that, again, we'll be able to get it done this session and that the governor will sign it if it gets to his desk. Because it's one thing to say you're, you're for affordable health care and you want to do all these great things for the people. But if you're going to find nitpicky little ways to veto everything that's done, you know, then actions talk loud or speak louder than words, as the saying goes, and, and time's going to tell on that front. Indeed. State Representative Joe Sanfilippo joining us again on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. Final question then on that front in this whole uh, uh, portion of the conversation. Um, do you believe that the Republican-controlled legislature, if not the Assembly in particular, will be forced to come up with your own budget? based on what we've heard so far from the governor on priorities and initiatives? Do you see a separate budget track coming up? Well, it's important to remember, you know, you take a step back and you look at the budget process. For the most part, even with Governor Walker in place, when he proposed a budget, the Joint Finance Committee pretty much just started from the base, from the budget the year before, and, and built their own. Took a lot of components that Governor Walker had proposed and put into the budget, yes, but also made some changes. So I think it's not abnormal for Joint Finance to start from scratch, more or less, and build a budget. Now, I expect we'll probably see, you know, maybe some items that Governor Evers puts forward will make it into the budget. But when he starts talking about, you know, things like Medicaid expansion and the driver's 
uh, permits for illegal immigrants and, uh, you know, reducing prison population by 50%. I mean, those are fundamental uh, policy issues that there's no way are going to be included in the budget. You know, maybe they're items that are discussed separately through the legislative process, which is the way they should be, mm-hmm. but uh, those are not going to be in there. So to answer your question, I believe the budget that's passed is going to look substantially different from what is proposed by All the right. governor. Fair enough. All right. Now, finally, are you prepared for the segment on MacGyver Newsmakers it's absolutely sweeping the nation, or at least we like to say so, don't we? I'm strapped in my chair with my crash helmet on. <laughs> well, get ready. All right. It could be a bumpy ride. Uh, five fast questions, we like to call it. You don't have to give it all too much thought, but uh, uh, we get your thoughts on the burning issues of the day. Number one, did Drake copy Soldier Boy's whole flow? I have no clue what you just said. I don't really know what I said either, but <laughs> ask my wife. Most of the time, I I don't know what I'm saying uh, when it doesn't involve Soldier Boy and Drake. Do you have Tony Evers fever? And if so, what's the cure? No, I don't have the fever, but the cure is for <laughs> uh, the, the cure is for us just to remember that. You know, politics isn't the end of the world, and we may not like the person in office or the policies they put forward, but you know what? Another election will be coming along, and we can make some changes. The main thing is to remember that, you know, for those of us that are elected, we know what the people elected us to do, and we have to hold true to our convictions. It's a good answer. It's a great answer. But what we were looking for was, yes, there is a gel caplet now uh, that is available for Evers fever. The most important piece of legislation you put your name on all time? Direct primary care. Hmm? And uh, if I could, why so? I think that's going to have, you know... uh, I'd like to, you know, don't want to pat myself on the back. I think that we've proposed a lot of good bills, but I think this is the one bill that has the potential to really put out meaningful change and affect, you know, practically every family in this state from border to border. All right. Is civility possible in Wisconsin politics again? You know, Definitely yes, but it's going to take the liberal side to be able to want to make that happen, right? Because if you look at all of the incivility that has happened over the last eight years, it's pretty much all been one-sided. And, uh, you know, now we've seen Governor Evers get sworn in. Uh, When Governor Walker's was sworn in, there were protests on that day and, and, you know, a lot of rancor from the left. You didn't see any of that happening from the right. And, And I... I, you know, think that no matter what Governor Evers proposes, you're not going to see 70,000 people swarming the Capitol here and trying to have uh, sit-ins and lovins and everything else that they've had, Um, you know, and, and so, yes, it is possible. Final question of our five fast questions. Who wins in a cage match, Fred Risser or Fred Kessler? Boy, that's a tough one. But, you know, I've got to go with uh, Kessler. He's the hometown boy, and I think he's a, you know, he's a former judge, you know, and he's pretty scrappy. Fighting Fred Kessler. That's right. No doubt about it. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, 
uh, your time and the generosity of your time and your perspective and very important legislation coming up, no doubt about it. We'll be closely watching it. It is a free market solution to a huge problem that every Wisconsinite is facing, basically, uh, today. Joe Sanfilippo, Joe San thank you so much for joining us this uh, edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. Great. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it. Stay tuned for more from the Capitol. For MacGyver Newsmakers, I'm Matt Kittle reporting. <laughs>